I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The following podcast is designed to entertain and inform. The views and opinions expressed by the guests participating in this podcast are solely their own based on their own experiences and do not represent the views and opinions of the hosts, Erios, Tradecraft Media, and or any distributor of this podcast. And I asked him what has to be one of the most simple questions of my career. And I said, what is it like to be a custodian at Disneyland? Here you have a world that is supposed to be perfect and have this veneer of perfection. And here you have a job like that just deals with the messy stuff of life. And he started explaining, you know, how he has to sometimes clean up vomit and sometimes he has to pick up a lot of trash and so on. And really offhand, like not even knowing what he was saying, he said, and occasionally human ashes. <laughs> and it was, I have to say, the biggest record scratch of my career. <laughs> Welcome to Keys to the Kingdom, Episode 8, Happily Ever After. You've probably heard the urban legend that no one ever dies at Disney. This is not true. While you're less likely to be pronounced dead at Disney, people have died in the park before. Some of them quite grisly deaths that you can look up online. Amanda, this is supposed to be a romantic episode. Oh, right. Before we get to the morbid stuff, we're going to talk about the happy endings. Because that's the whole draw of Disney. The promise of a fairy tale ending. And not just Disney. We have to include the other theme parks as well. They're an iconic first date location, a picturesque setting for a proposal, and even a venue for weddings. I'm honestly surprised you didn't propose to me at the Waterworld Stunt Spectacular. I do find the Waterworld Stunt Spectacular very romantic. I think you mean erotic. I think you are right. <laughs> and to prove my point that Disney isn't the only place that people associate with romance, here's a story about a very lavish theme park proposal that took place at, yes, Universal Studios. My name is Mark McConville, and I was an actor and musician at basically every theme park in Southern California, save for Six Flags, and I don't think Legoland counts, and SeaWorld's in San Diego, so let's be real. You were present at a very strange theme park marriage proposal, right? It was Valentine's Day 2011. I worked at Universal at the time, and they did special events, so a company would have their party at the park. There'd be a thousand people there instead of 20. This was a person who had enough wealth to buy out the park for a proposal. The whole park for two people and yet it was fully staffed? 
it was after hours. It was sort of like a dinner in a courtyard and it looks like Paris, I guess. And they had a high-end catered meal and it was all decked out with hearts and stuff because it was Valentine's Day. But while all that was happening, everything in the park was standing by. Wow. There was a stunt show, Waterworld, full cast, jet skis gassed up, ready to go. If two people wanted to watch that show, they were ready to do that. Oh. Mummy Ride, Jurassic Park, Studio Tour, all the off. I looked up all the offerings of the time. So what were you doing in all this? There's a small New York area that looks like 1930s or 40s Brooklyn, I guess. And they just had a bunch of New York archetypes in the street. I was a cabbie. And then, yeah, once they were in the park, I had to lean on that cab for as long as it takes to eat a seven course meal and get proposed to and then take a walk. You know, like I don't really know what else they did. I mean, they were already two hours late. So I just remember we were not to discuss this. The rumor was the man wanted to buy out Disneyland and Disneyland said no. And so Universal said yes. Hey, we'll do it. Uh, Sounds like Universal. And the, the other rumor was that maybe he came into his money in not so pleasant ways, oh. which I was like, oh, God, never found out who it was. And then when I saw them, I didn't recognize them. And you're just standing there waiting for the couple to potentially pass by. Everyone is just sitting, waiting for a radio call, because that's the thing I remember is the park was silent. And all I could hear was the squawk of just management going like, we're still standing by. They're at LAX now. They just arrived or something like that. There was an element of them arriving in the United States and then... Land the PJ, get in your limo, head straight to Universal Studios. This is for sure a PJ situation. What's a PJ? Private jet, baby. (laughs) Don't embarrass me. Come on, Matt. How do you think I spent my Knott's Berry Farm money? So they have that like gross post airplane feeling when he proposes to her. But you don't have Honey, a gross it's airplane a PJ. feeling on a private jet. He can't even wrap his head around it, Mark. I know. And that's why we'll never have a PJ. What's a PJ? You're in them. I'll say that. <laughs> These are the private jet of pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> so they got there. They had a white horse-drawn carriage. Oh, they really did want Disney. <laughs> yeah. And they were greeted by Woody Woodpecker, Lucille Ball. <laughs> Frankenstein. <laughs> Together again. Probably Shrek. Oh, yeah. Universal's a damn grab bag. Yeah, it is a Motley crew. Was Motley crew there? I believe just Nikki Six and Tommy Lee were there. So they came down the lane. You saw them coming. We all said something like, boy, love is in the air tonight. So then, yeah, they ate dinner. He proposed. I don't think they ever saw a show. I don't think they ever went on a ride. Did she say yes? She said yes. And then this is the sort of like sad cherry on the Sunday. Universal Studios Hollywood is right over Toluca Lake. So there are very strict noise ordinances and there's very strict pyro ordinances. And they had a fireworks show at the end of the night. They really did want Disney. Wow. But the fireworks show was the saddest. (laughs) There's no castle to launch. I mean, there is now, but then there was no. You're launching fireworks from atop the Simpsons ride. So you stayed for the fireworks? We were still there. They wouldn't let us leave until the couple left. I'll bet they left and went straight to Disneyland. (laughs) My question is, why not just go to Paris? No, I understand you. My question is, why not see Waterworld? (laughs) I knew you were going to say it. If you've got a PW. What's a PW? Private Waterworld. Uh. (laughs) Oh. So, like, what else did they have that night? There was an animal actor show going on at the time. All so the, those all, ferrets on standby? All of them. The chicken, the, yeah, the dogs, all of them. But I just thought the special effects show has a volunteer that disappears for half the show. Oh, my gosh. The 
logistically, it didn't make any sense. Wait. The only male volunteer has to come up on stage. So the potential groom has to volunteer because he's the only male in the audience. And he goes away for a half hour while the potential bride just sits there and watches. Watching how rear screen projection works. How romantic. You know, they should have gone on a ride. Maybe even the studio tour. That would have been amazing, a private studio tour. But the private Terminator 2 3D, probably. <laughs> Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, I mean, this is just feel to me is such a waste because the run of the place is the dream. So the fact that it was just the two of them and they didn't have family and friends there. I truly don't know what they did. I feel like we would have heard if it was, hey, they're at the Animal Actor Show and she just had a bird land on her head or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so maybe Disney is more of a natural fit when it comes to proposals. I think so. And let's not even pretend otherwise. I mean, Disney is the home of the happy ending. So it's erotic as well? Have some respect. Getting married at Disneyland is a dream for a lot of people. I spoke with former Disney fairy tale wedding planner Rebecca Martins about the draw of a Disney wedding. It's a joke internally at Disney that someone has to die in the weddings department for you to get a job. People want to work in that department. I mean, you don't get more magical than a wedding at Disney. Why do you think brides and grooms or brides and brides and grooms and grooms want a Disney wedding? I mean, it's a fairy tale, right? It's something that you've seen the movies from when you were a kid. You have the most immaculate and perfect and beautiful backdrop that you could ever want. Beyond that, you're not going to find better customer service at any venue in the entire world. Disney Fairy Tale Weddings goes out of their way to make sure that brides don't see other brides on their wedding day. So there could be photographs of a wedding happening inside the Grand Floridian while there's a wedding happening in the Grand Floridian Convention Center. But as a team, they try so hard to make sure their paths never cross so that you feel like the only bride getting married at Disney on that day when there could, in fact, be seven to ten other weddings happening on that day. And I can say that because I was a Disney bride. And now you have your own wedding business. So what percentage of couples come in and have a vision that in some way is inspired by Disney and this fairy tale? Right now, a lot. There's a part of that fairy tale, that Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Belle inspiration that all of us have seen as children that I think plays into a lot of people's weddings. And even if it's not overly Disney, even if your bridesmaids aren't in princess colors or if your cake doesn't have hidden Mickeys on it, I still think brides tend to kind of unknowingly incorporate some of these fairy tale visions into their weddings because weddings are fairy tales, right? Man or woman of your dreams, you know, special day, ballrooms, dancing, wines. It's such a like magical experience in general. I mean, groom's cakes are a huge thing in Texas. People love a groom's cake. So the bride gets a cake and then the groom gets a fun cake. I have had Star Wars cakes here in Houston. We've had a Toy Story cake. We've had a Cars cake. So even the groom will get a little to lean into his childhood. Now, I don't know how closely you keep tabs on the couples post-wedding, but you yourself had a fairy tale wedding. So in your experience, does a fairy tale wedding lead to a fairy tale marriage? Yeah, <laughs> it has in my experience. I do think that there's a romanticism in the couples that choose to get married at Disney. There is that underlying obsession with love. I mean, I've had a great marriage so far. I'm 14 years in and I actually met him working at Disney to make things even more magical. <laughs> so, Do you think there is such a thing as a fairy tale ending? 
Um, you know, I think it's how you define it. You know, is the fairy tale ending the ending to your perfect wedding weekend? Is the fairy tale ending a lifelong happiness of marriage? Is the fairy tale ending having beautiful children? You know, I think everyone has to define their own fairy tale ending on their own and going back to Disney and your clients. No one is asking for the same wedding. No one is getting the same wedding. So I think everyone's aspect of that fairy tale ending has a different expectation. So for me, having a healthy communicative marriage that had the cherry on top of a gorgeous wedding that was at Disney where we hosted all of our friends and family at Christmas time when the park was beautifully decorated. I had a surprise visit from Mr. and Mrs. Claus. So they came into my wedding. And so I have a picture with Santa in my wedding dress. And so, you know, I definitely got my fairy tale ending on my wedding day. Oh man, Star Wars cake? That's right. Can I interest you in a Disney vow renewal? No, but how about a Disney divorce? Okay, I get your point because the average price of a Disney wedding can cost up to 100000 and that's American dollars, not Mickey bucks. But if you're willing to go gorilla, you can get married at Disneyland and you don't have to spend a dime. Hi, my name is Nick Pettigrew and I officiated a secret wedding at Disneyland. I follow rules very heavily. <laughs> so the whole concept of doing this was like really nerve wracking for me because you're not supposed to do weddings in Disneyland unless you pay them like a ton of money. And uh, my family doesn't have a ton of money. My sister-in-law and her partner wanted to do it in Disneyland. And so we coordinated this whole very regimented itinerary for a day. Basically, it would be like we had little ceremonies all over the park throughout the day, which was worse because it wasn't just like one event and then it was done. It was a bunch of events throughout the day. There's like a petrified stump in Disneyland on the rivers of America. So we uh, started uh, with our first little ceremony thing there. We went on Pirates of the Caribbean, which was significant to them because uh, my sister-in-law's partner is a redhead and she had the whole like, we want the redhead part of it. Uh <laughs> She was a big fan of that. The redhead is the, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, and I might have this wrong, but it's the wench who's being auctioned. Yes. Formerly the wench who's being auctioned. Now, like, she's like a pirate herself now. Nick, when you guys were standing at the petrified tree, is it like a traditional wedding tableau where the tree is the altar and you're in the middle and the two betrothed are on either side of you? I mean, yes, in the sense that I was in the middle of my sister-in-law and her partner on either side of me. But then everyone else was just kind of in like a tight circle around us, kind of shielding the whole situation. <laughs> How many people in your group? I want to say no more than 10 to 15. I would say no more than that. That's substantial, though, as far as like a little crowd. Enough to probably raise alarm so I could see why you would have been a little concerned. Very concerned. Yeah, because we were like annual pass holders at the time. And I was like, they're going to take this away. They're going to take our <laughs> passes away. They're going to kick us out. Then we did another little ceremony in the little courtyard right next to uh, the Haunted Mansion. And then they just, okay, this is the thing that kind of uh, annoyed me a little bit, was that then they just let us go for periods of time. And the periods of time always coincided with like lunch and dinner. So they were like, you're on your own for <laughs> Oh, we're not footing the bill. We're no, not covering not your corn dog and your mint julep. No. Did they cover your admission prices? He's a pass holder. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, because we were pass holders, so it wasn't even a... Uh, I got the honor of doing it, is I think that's what it was. Um, but then we had to come back together 
And the ending of it was at uh, It's a Small World. And It's a Small World was important because they're big fans of Mary Blair, uh, who did a lot of the artwork and that kind of art style for It's a Small World. So they wanted to have the final ceremony at the little pavilion area. So we went there and did the final ceremony where it was like the do you do you kiss. That was the most nerve wracking part, I think, because that was the most like an actual wedding thing that we did was like having the kiss and like the cheer and all that stuff. But I think because it was such a busy day, we didn't stand out any more than like any other herd of people. Any other secret wedding roaming throughout the park. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure on the scale of like one to ten, this is maybe a a four in terms of like the craziest stuff that goes on at Disneyland. Yeah. So we've learned. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I've always heard stories about people like uh, spreading ashes in the Haunted Mansion or something like that. So funny you should mention that. Stay tuned, listener. (laughs) No, I will. That sounds insane. And then after we finished the um, ceremony, they kissed, they exchanged rings. We did it. I felt uh, a huge sense of relief that it was done. And then um, we went back to the Grand Californian Hotel and Spa uh, for cupcakes. Nobody paid for anything or we didn't have any spaces set up. So we just we went and found an empty space in the Grand. And then we uh, I think we saw the fireworks in the distance. So that was like a really nice little bow to put on the end of the whole night was to be able to do that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Maybe a Disney wedding is not for us after all. But did you know there's a Disney dating site called Mouse Mingle? What? Mm-hmm. Common interests are a cornerstone for a relationship. Huh. For some couples, having Tigger officiate is the gold standard. Now, fun fact, I looked this up. Mickey will not officiate weddings because, according to the internet, he is a mouse. But a tiger can. Well, yeah, they're bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, can I be candid? Though a Disney wedding would never be my cup of tea, I think I may have painted myself as a little bit of a cynic in this series when the truth is that maybe that's somewhat of a front. The Knott's Berry Farm and Universal Studios stunt shows were the main thing that set me on my career path as a performer, specifically a man named Bob Rochelle, the funniest stuntman that ever lived. He inspired me to do comedy and that's what led me to working at Disneyland. Or was it just fate? You know, Amanda... 
you and I are second generation Disneyland employees. That's right, Matt. We are legacy theme park workers. Now, forgive us for a moment as we get a little bit indulgent here, but we wanted to talk to those special relations of ours who worked at Disney before us. And for all my cynicism, working at Disney could at times be magical. And back in the day, it was even more magical. You never knew whom you might meet. Here's my dad, Jim Gorley. Hello, my name is Jim Gorley, and I worked at Disneyland in the mid-50s, not very long after it opened. Dad, tell us about the time you met the big guy, Walt Disney. Okay, well, I was working in an ice cream stand, scooping ice cream, and it was on Main Street uh, for the summer when I was in high school. At this particular uh, time, it was during the day, and so I had a packed lunch. I went out in the back of Main Street, back of the building. I went out there, and I was eating my lunch, and beautiful day, you know, and I wasn't paying much attention. All of a sudden, I noticed these two people coming along. They were kind of dressed up. He was in a slacks and a sports coat, and she was dressed in a real nice dress. And at first, it didn't dawn on me, but then I did a double take, and here was uh, Walt Disney's wife. So they were walking right towards me, and then they stopped, and they looked at me, and they said, hello, you know, they were very, very friendly. And so they wanted to know, uh, you know, what my name was and where I was going to school, you know, how I liked my job and all those things. But uh, they were just phenomenal. It's like I knew them or something. They were so friendly. And I remember, too, they, they were really uh, good to kids, you know. It was a good place to work. And in the mid-50s, there weren't a lot of jobs, you know. We had one McDonald's. That was about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still, to this moment, you know, kind of throws you for a loop. I was just a kid from La Habra working there for the summer, you know, serving ice cream. No big deal. But it didn't matter. You know, he didn't seem rushed or stressed or anything like that. They were just like they were out on a walk. <laughs> it's incredible. They said goodbye, you know, have a nice summer and that kind of thing. I was very touched by it and I, I really uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, he really left a mark on multiple generations of most families. God, the legacy that's there is phenomenal. Well, Amanda and I always talk about how we're second generation Southern Californians, but I'm also second generation Disneyland worker. I'm a legacy. That's right. Yeah. And now that we have Glenn, it's going to start all over for us, too. That's right. Yeah. It's the third generation. I know. Maybe she'll work there. She probably <laughs> will, actually. Who knows? Anyway, Matt, thanks for uh, listening in here. And, uh, I love you, Pop. Love you too, man. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. I never told you this before, but I knew I wanted to marry into a theme park legacy family, and I did have a private investigator do a little digging. Gross. <laughs> you have to disclose something like that. I feel used. And now here's my great Aunt Marion with more. I didn't realize all these years that I was legacy when I was working at Disneyland. Yeah, isn't that funny? I heard you worked at Disneyland when I was starting this project. My dad mentioned it, but you know how the Luns are. I got a million different versions. Aunt Katie chimed in on Facebook saying that, oh, your Aunt Marion was Sleeping Beauty. And then my dad told me you were Alice. And then I heard you were a ride operator. So will you just tell me what exactly you did at Disney? Well, I started in the office as 
a typist. Then I found out that the ride operators made a lot more money. So I decided, well, God, I'm going to do that. So the opening that they had was in the storybook land. Oh, yeah. The storybook land canal boats. As I recall, I wore a blue dress and a white apron. I loved doing that. It was so much fun. Years later, that had a funny result for me because when I went to Japan, that was on my resume. And that's all the guy interviewing me wanted to hear about was when I worked at Disneyland. This was after I graduated from law school. And he didn't care about that. He just wanted to hear about the Disney experience. So I told him the story about when this group of ladies got on my boat. So at the end of the ride, this lady gave me $5. And I said, well, we can't accept tips. And she says, my dear, I'm Mrs. Disney. You can accept the tips from me. I thought it was funny at the time. But this guy that was interviewing me in Tokyo just thought that was the most wonderful story. And he told me later that's why he hired me. amazing. Did you take the tip? Yeah, sure. And now to get really indulgent, Amanda, the theme park world is where you and I met. Yes, just like Romeo and Juliet, we were perched atop a balcony. And dressed as British rockers in huge wigs, standing there in the sizzling hundred degree heat. I believe you had a mullet wig and I just had a big hat. Lucky. So the fairy tale ending is real, but what about after the happily ever after, as in the afterlife? Nick Pettigrew teed it up for us, but here's Wall Street Journal reporter Eric Schwartzel to tell us about people determined to continue the fairy tale into the afterlife. I have to say, I've, I've been a journalist for like 15 years. If I had to pick my favorite story of all time, it probably is the story of the cremated ashes at Disneyland. <laughs> I'm a reporter at the Wall Street Journal, and I cover the entertainment industry. And for a time, I was our designated Disney reporter. And very early in my tenure, I happened to meet a custodian at Disneyland. He was the first to explain to me the code names that are deployed to keep other guests from knowing what's happening whenever these high-powered vacuums show up to suck up human ashes. He even told me, and this is a detail that didn't make it into the story because it was ruled to be too grisly, but he even told me about hearing the pieces of teeth go up through the vacuum as they're as they're sucking them up. Meanwhile, there's like family members standing around emotional and crying. They just had this crazy experience. Wait, so you, you like that feeling when you're vacuuming your own home and you accidentally vacuum up a penny and you know something's wrong, oh, except no. it's a human tooth. Exactly. Yeah. Like the teeth, I think, are probably the last to burn. And so um, yeah. <laughs> I know it's really grisly. So then it just became a matter of like, how do you report this out? Right. This is not exactly <laughs> something that Disney wants advertised, obviously. Obviously, but I saw the story as having two components. One was the families who would choose to do this, right? And then the other was, how does the park respond? There's a pretty simple answer there, which is they send a vacuum out and, and suck them up and try to distract other people with free fast passes so that they don't realize what's happening. Well, so everybody wins, the bereaved and the guest. Exactly. It's a magical experience for all. <laughs> <laughs> what are the code names for the various 
cleanups. Code V was for vomit, pretty self-explanatory. Same with code U for urine. And then the ashes was known as a HEPA cleanup, which mm-hmm. is a reference to the the HEPA vacuums that they use. And one of the workers I spoke to had told me that she once got in trouble because they started calling it code grandma. And they would say, <laughs> they'd say code grandma, code grandma. And then they had to, they had to stop that. And they, they went back to HEPA cleanup. Oh. But what was so fascinating was it was relatively easy to find people who had done this. I really just started looking primarily on social media for people who had not only gone to Disney and spread the ashes of their loved ones, but then posted about it. And so there's like something obviously really gruesome about this whole practice, but there's also for the people doing it something deeply emotional. So that was one component. And then the other component was talking to the workers. And I have to tell you, I mean, to a person, everyone I'd call, whether it was a custodian or like a ride attendant, if I'd say like I'm looking into this practice of spreading ashes, there was just this sort of like sigh of acknowledgement. Like it's like it's such a part of the job. Um, I mean, one person told me it happened at least once a month. And then the other thing that really I mean, that really became clear was that it happens everywhere. I mean, I had examples from the Dumbo ride. I had examples from Pirates of the Caribbean. I had several from It's a Small World. And then the Haunted Mansion was obviously the most popular. That is like the place to go to spread ashes at Disney parks. What I started to kind of get the feeling is that like when you go to these parks, in some ways, you're just sort of surrounded by cremated remains. Oh um, I mean, it just felt like it was in by the time I was done reporting the story, it was like, I feel like I'm enveloped in them here. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it, it just struck me as just like the ultimate example of how real life will always intrude, right? Like, you know, Disney is better than any company on the face of this earth at giving us this image of perfection and, and never letting us see how the sausage is made, right? And, and here's the ultimate intrusion of literal life and death matters. I read in your article that one person spread their ashes sort of near the front gate, which to right. me seems almost so vague because it could just easily blow across Harbor Boulevard and end up at IHOP and you're nine tenths of the way there. Totally fair point. And you're right that the, the language in that part of the piece is a little vague. And, and and it was in part because I think that woman didn't want to give the exact location. Oh, um, where the treasure I think buried. there was something kind of emotional about where exactly it was. Yeah. But to your point, I don't think it was because she was scared about smuggling them in. Everyone to a person was like, it was so easy. They just put a bunch of ashes in like a Ziploc bag or several people use prescription pill bottles and they would just put them in their purse and they got right through. Can you tell us a little bit about the Disneyland party that smuggled in the remains of someone in a camera bag and kind of did a fun day in the park before? Oh my gosh. Yeah. My favorite story. There is this guy who I found who I think is in his thirties or forties. He lives in San Bernardino. This is like in the late eighties or early nineties. His father, father's partner died of AIDS and his father wanted to spread the ashes at a Disney park, but obviously was just like incredibly depressed because his partner had just died in this tragic way. And so what his son did and and another friend of theirs did is they had him put the ashes in this camera bag to get it into the park. But then they had this fantastic idea to take a bunch of pictures with the bag and the character. So there are these photos they have of Mickey, you know, this giant Mickey with his arm around this guy's father. And the guy's holding this camera bag that Mickey obviously doesn't know is holding cremated remains. The son I spoke 
to, you know, his father himself has passed away since then. And he said it really just flipped everything around. And his father ended up having the time of his life because it was just the most morbid, dark sense of humor you could have. But they started talking to the bag and and the, the guy who died, his name was Robin. So they would say, do you want to go on this ride, Robin? Like, come on, let's go, Robin. Here we go. Let's get a picture with Minnie and Mickey, you know? And, and it, he, as he said, like so poignantly, he said, my dad ended up having the time of his life and it really turned things around for him. I got to say, it makes perfect sense to me because when you think of Disney as a place where we go to mark milestones, you know, you go for your birthday, you go on your honeymoon, you get engaged there. Maybe you have a Disney wedding. There's something about the bookend of that. Disney as your final resting place or a place where your family might go to memorialize you. It just makes a lot of sense to me. And I wonder if Disney's ever thought about sort of condoning this and maybe having like a Disney funeral business because... Or on the other end of that, and speaking of bookends, is a Disney obstetrician unit where you can be born in the park and then die in the park. <laughs> and Disney hospice. Cradle to grave. <laughs> <laughs> So Matt, if you either had to get married at Disney or your ashes spread at Disney, which would you choose? I'll spread my ashes in the Waterworld Lagoon. Just to wrap up this series with some final thoughts. It's very clear that these theme parks we've been talking about, especially Disney, hold real importance to people. Enough to want to spend eternity there. And I think it's really neat that I got to be a part of something so important to people. I agree and I share that thought. And I love escapism as much as the next theme park guy. But when escaping life for a fairy tale becomes replacing life with a fairy tale, that's when I start to feel the ickiness a little bit. It's not most people I know, and it's a weird two-way street, but when you see it, you can't unsee it. So the ultimate verdict of the theme park world? Fun, but complicated. I like that. And one last request. What? That we agree to retire at the Disney-branded, story-living, 55 and over community, This Is Real, currently being built at the Rancho Mirage Desert of California. Absolutely not. Hold everything. Right before the release of this podcast, we took our now almost two-year-old daughter back to Disneyland. And seeing it through her eyes, eyes that are now old enough to just beam incandescently at the sight of Mickey, Minnie, and Tucci. Will you explain who Tucci is? Tucci is how she pronounces goofy. It's not the actor Stanley Tucci. It filled my heart with such inexplicable joy. I get it. I now get it. I want to change all my past ratings to full marks for Disneyland. It's amazing. And dare I say... Magical. You're a full-blown Disney dad. God help me. The minute our Disney vacation was over, Matt was trying to plan the next trip. I'm sick because, I don't know, seeing Glenn light up like that just takes away every ounce of heaviness and burden that I ever carry with me. Yeah, all your cynicism was washed out the window. So this is why people love Disney. It's the greatest babysitter. (laughs) So we're going back for her second birthday, right? Season two? Let's do it. We'll see. Go behind the scenes of Keys to the Kingdom with eight full-length bonus companion episodes featuring numerous extended and never-before-heard interviews as well as loads of hot theme park gossip. Plus, get all regular Keys to the Kingdom episodes ad-free as they release. Simply click the link in the show description. 
Keys to the Kingdom was created, written, produced, edited, and hosted by Amanda Lund and Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Erios, Matt Gorley, and Amanda Lund. Mixed and mastered by Brett Morris. Associate produced by Alex Paul. Sound design and artwork by Matt Gorley. Production coordination by Alex Paul and Crystal Dinsberg. Special thanks to Veronica Taylor, Tim Ruggieri, Tatiana Matias at Acast, and Martha Little, Amor Yates, and Nicholas Sotomayor at Audible. If you have a story about working at a theme park, email us at themeparkhotline at gmail.com and we might use it for a future episode or season. Keys to the Kingdom is an Erios production in conjunction with Tradecraft Media. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.